playing with fire is a dangerous thing. It will burn your fingers. And it can not only burn the finger, it can lead to even serious accidents. So, remember this principle now. Don't play with fire. Probably the casualties, the consequences of playing with a normal natural fire can be li uh, limited, can be managed and the damage can be less. But there is a fire that we should not, never, should never play with. And that fire is called the consuming fire, who is God himself. Hebrews chapter 28 cites a verse from the Old Testament. A verse that has been repeated many times in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 to 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Paraphrase it this way. Don't ever play with God because God is a consuming <coughs> fire. Now, with that in view, I'm not going to elaborate that particular verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 to 29. But this whole book, whole chapter of fifth chapter of Daniel is all about a king who played with this consuming fire. Belshazzar, the son of the king whom we met in the previous sermon in Daniel chapter 4. He played with fire. Nabonidus, he played with fire or at least tried to. For that, the fire actually made him mad, insane, and he was humble, humiliated, and was like almost like an animal, a grass-eating animal. Now, his son, Belshazzar, who came to the throne after a while, actually when his brother or his father was king, he was, he was a regent. His father had gone insane and gave the kingdom into his hands and for about 10 years he was invisible somewhere away in another, another city and when sense came to him and he gave honor to God and he humbled, to, humbled himself before God, he came back to his senses, he came back to his But when he was away, Belshazzar was regent already. But this man tried to play with this fire, God. But the story is that it did not just burn his fingers. It consumed enter person, the whole Belshazzar, 
and his kingdom, his empire, playing with God, the consuming fire has very, very serious, dire consequences. In this case, it consumed Belshazzar, the king, the emperor who tried to play with this fire and his kingdom. Let me just recap the story. I already told you this is about Belshazzar, the last emperor, king of the great Babylonian empire. He was regent. He was ruling along on behalf of his father who was the emperor that time but has gone mad, as insane. And he was living among animals, exposed himself to the, the sun and the snow. And this man was so proud, probably he was very young too, that the maturity of the young man, probably he was so proud that he one sun fine morning he became the heir to the throne of the Babylonian Empire. So he had a great feast. And in that great feast, he asked when he was intoxicated, when he lost his senses, he ordered that all the vessels of the temple be brought. Now, the vessels of the temple, now he had conquered, his grandfather had conquered many nations. And among them was the nation of Israel and the temple of Jerusalem. And the temple of Jerusalem had sacred objects, that is, cups and spoons and forks and all sorts of things for the use of the temple. These were completely dedicated for the use in temple or God's use. And they were taken when, the, when Jerusalem was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And it was in a safe locker in the Babylonian palace. So Belshazzar had thought, why don't I have fun? So he was intoxicated. So he ordered the vessels to be brought and he and his wives and his concubines, they drank from that vessels, which was meant only for God's use in God's temple. Remember that. It was not used, meant for common use. It was not to be profaned that way. But he was so proud, he tried to play with fire. He grabbed, who took possession of what exclusively belongs to God and made fun of it. And he lifted the cups and he praised the God of silver and gold. And he actually made fun of him. But dramatically, while that was going on, a hand appeared on the walls of the party hall. And that hand wrote a cryptic message. It looked like an Aramaic dialect. It is not Aramaic, but it looks like Aramaic. Mene, mene, tekel uparsi. Can you imagine that? Nowadays it is possible, isn't it? In animation and all that, you can make it happen. You can use a PowerPoint presentation where the letters roll in. It's something similar to that happened. It's a road on the wall. Many, many take a 
and he didn't know the meaning of it. That was not his language. It looked like the language of the Persian kingdom, the Median Persian kingdom. Some of these words we can we understand now, but it's not it's not completely grammatically in that sentence. Mene mene tekelu parso. And the king immediately, while he was sipping from the cups of the temple, God's golden cups, wine which is not to be allowed to be poured into that. When this pagan king, Gentile king, lifted this cup and sipped from it, he and his wives and his concubines did it. Dramatically on the walls, this sentence appears. Mene, mene, tekelu and the king was troubled. Now, a writing on the wall itself is frightening. Suddenly somebody, a handwriting, not a person, a handwriting right in front of you. So the king calls Daniel. And Daniel comes. And Daniel interprets the words. And Daniel said, The Lord God has weighed you in a balance and found you lacking. And your kingdom is taken from you. And it will be given to the Persians, the Persian kings. And the king was frightened. And Daniel was very, Daniel indicted him. He said, look, chapter 5 verses 21 onwards. I'll come back to it later. He said, look, your father also did this. And probably your grandfather also did something similar to this. And they were punished. But now you have lifted your eyes. Hand against the holy God. Now the kingdom is taken from you and given to somebody else. And the scripture says, I hope you have read the chapter. I hope you have read the chapter. And it says again immediately. That very night. Darius, probably the commander of the Persian army, killed Darius, killed Belshazzar. That very same night, the very moment when he was sipping from the golden cups of the temple, the wall, the, there is a writing on the wall. And that very night, we don't know the historical details. But that very night, probably in his bed, he was killed by the Persian commander. Darius probably was the Persian commander. And he died. His capital was conquered. His kingdom was taken over by the media Persian Empire. Playing with fire. A fire that consumes. The one who plays and everyone who knows near it as well. Now what are the lessons that we learn from it? This is a great a story that makes us shudder. Shiva. This is a story about the wrath of God. The wrath of a jealous God. I'll take you us through one or two things that we need to really learn so that we may gain 
a heart of wisdom. We have to learn, we have to go through the Bible, we have to learn from history, we have to learn it from God's way, the way God looks at his historical events, like Darius killing Belshazzar and taking over. There is something to learn from all this, so that we may walk humbly before our God and we may gain a heart of wisdom. Three things is what caused Belshazzar and his empire to be reduced to ashes by this consuming fire. Our God, the God we serve. Let me read two verses from you and I will move on. Chapter 5, 22 to 23. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, he is actually referring to the incident in chapter 4, where his father lifted his heart, his mind against the God of heaven and praised his achievements and God as a punishment makes him insane. But you, you his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. So that was the first problem, humility. What did he lack? Why did he play with fire? Why did he dare to play with fire? Because you did not humble your heart. You lifted up your, yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house has been brought in before you. You and your lords, your wives and your kumbhubans, you have drunk from it. And you have not praised God, you have praised the gods of silver and god of bronze and iron and wood and stone which you do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are your ways, you have not honored. I just want to bring three things from this passage. It's very clear. One, pride. Two, not honoring God. Or you can put it another way, dishonoring God. Third thing, forgetting or ignoring the, our creatureliness. What do we mean by that? You forgot you did not honor God in whose hand is your breath. Ecclesiastes, the wise man says, you know, God calls, God gives life and God calls back life and you are dead. He is the one who has given life. He is the order of life. He is the honor of life. And he has the right to give and to take whenever he wants it. That is the awareness that we should have. Before God, we are simply creatures, created beings. So, Belshazzar forgot these three things. First of all, he acted with pride. Secondly, he dishonored God. Second, creatureliness. When I think of honor, okay, let's come, uh, let's try to explain. What is humility? Humility in simple words is to know your place and act accordingly. 
to know who you are that is what humility is if you behave, behave as if you are less than what you are that's what we call false humility you know who you are or you may not know and you act as if you are not what you are supposed to be or you are really is you really are then that is called false humility there are a lot of people you know they act in false humility humility is to know your position especially in this context your position our position in relation to god many people lack lack that wisdom honor second thing humility and honor or giving honor honoring is to know god's place in our life not only in our life in this universe yeah. honoring god is to know god's place humility is to know our place in the world and third thing is to know our dependence on god our creatureliness we are nothing more than creatures nothing more than that. but true god has made us higher than all that animals and creatures that he has created that is his mercy we are not just an animal we are not just a social animal we are more than that but still we are creatures you may be a king you may be an emperor you may be the home minister you may be the prime minister or you may be the president of the united states of america by with all that positional glory honor we get we still are creatures before a creator of the universe that is how we learn wisdom this is where things went wrong now even in using things that is the problem you know i it less lessons i have learned from my family which was an extended family where i grew up with uncles and grand uncles and all that one thing i realized is that to learn to honor people particularly older people one visible tangible practical way of honoring is not to meddle with things that others use let me explain that as i said i grew up in a family which are interconnected it's entangled with grandparents and all sort of thing all sort of people who controlled your life guided you and punished you advised you and all that. in my grand uncle's house there was a armchair we called it an easy chair a glorious wooden chair probably he might have inherited it from his grandfather or from his great grandfather that was on the veranda of the house and that that easy chair which we called or armchair which we called was his he sat there he slept there in the afternoons for the afternoon siesta and he read his newspaper there and none of us ever went near that because we honored him because we honored him 
we had a fear of going near that and he had a, maybe for two years he had something like a dementia or something like that and he was bedridden I think for almost two years so the armchair was empty no occupant for that but nobody dared to sit in that though this man is flat my grand uncle flat have no sense is dying but still in the family even somebody his daughter maybe was 60 65 those days the eldest son also never went near it because honoring him his position and at some 90 plus one fine morning he passed away then we had funeral we all went to the cemetery with his body buried it and came back and then there was a big fight among the grandchildren and the grandchildren who will sit in that chair first that's fine old man is gone there is no honor now so anyone can sit and we had a fight about 10 12 of us fighting for one armchair but the point is why that armchair was something very sacred unapproachable untouchable because it belonged to a great man Similar as that. Why the cups off? And we are just grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We are not allowed to do that. We knew our position. The position that we have in relation to that man. Belshazzar was an absolute fool. When he took the cups of gold dedicated to the temple of God to God and he played with it it is not a toy he is not God hope you understand what I am trying to say that was his first failure second failure he underestimated God actually related to that this man acted arrogantly and actually killed himself we can say invited his death and destruction upon him how and why because he underestimated the power of God it is true that his grandfather had defeated the Jews conquered their city destroyed the temple, captured the sacred objects. There is no question about it. That happened. It is recorded in history. 597 and 587. And four years later again another attack. But just because God allowed you to capture or conquer his people and his temple and the sacred objects, that doesn't mean that you have captured God. God allows the symbols that are misused, even his holy temple, to be destroyed. But that doesn't make God a weak God. 
That is what Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, and Belshazzar took. A fact of history is what we find in the first book of Samuel. The temple or the shrine, the Israelite shrine in Shiloh was captured by the Philistines. And they also destroyed. And they also captured the ark of the Lord where the power of God was. And the ark was, the Lord was captured. Read first and second Samuel. First Samuel chapter 1 and 2. And this ark was taken to the Philistine camp. And the Philistines, the enemies thought we can play with it. So, they took this ark which symbolized the presence of God and to put it in their temple. You know the story. Some of you may remember the story. What happened is that they found that their idol, the image of their god Dagon in the shape of a fish, it fell before, it was prostrating before the ark of the covenant that was taken, the presence of God. They put it again. So again in the morning we found that the temple of the Dagon, the idol, has fallen, prostrating before him. Now, there is a big story. I don't want to go into the details of the big story. What that story tells us is, God may allow sometimes his people to be defeated. God may allow sometimes his people to be persecuted. Sometimes God may humble a bunch of believers before their enemies. But that our op the oppressors should remember one thing. That simply because God has used an oppressor to discipline his people. That doesn't mean that God has lost his power. That is a lesson. Simply because God used the Babylonians to punish the sinful Israel. That doesn't mean that the Babylonians can take God lightly. He is, remember that, our God is a consuming fire. Now there are many of our brothers and sisters in various parts of India and rest of the world who are being persecuted. Martyr, humiliated. But the comfort is here that God may allow their oppressors to have their way for a while, but in a controlled and limited manner. But still, God is God. God is still on the throne. He gives, what did he tell Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar? He gives the kingdom, he takes away the kingdoms as well. Daniel 2.21 So here is the problem. Misunderstanding or underestimating the power of God. Second misconception that Belshazzar had about God was he did not really know the nature of God. What kind of a person, what kind of a God, God is. There are many things I want to say, but one point, only one idea I will bring. Our God is a jealous God. Now, before I go further, I need to clarify. What do we mean by jealous? It is not, I am not talking about zealous. 
Z, Z. No, some of us pronounce that way. I'm talking about jealous. The meaning is not very different also. J, starting with, uh, spelled with a J. Jealousy and envy, there are two things. Envy is when you are sort of a discomfort at what others have. That is what envy is. Envy. The word envy means, primarily means. Nowadays we use, mix it. But envy is, you have a car, I don't have that car. So I just want or even say, I want what you have. That is envy. Jealousy is a different feeling. Jealousy is, you don't want to lose what you have. That is what jealousy means. Okay? Jealousy is what you want to keep what you have, you don't want to lose what you have. Envy is you long to have what others have. That is envy. Now with that, it's like different. I want to come to this. Our God is a jealous God. What does that mean? A number of passages I can see. He is a God, for example, let me start with Deuteronomy 5.9. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, idols. For I, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. God don't want to share his glory with anyone else. God don't want to share his glory with anyone. Now, you can see this in Deuteronomy 6, 5, Isaiah 4, 2, 40 to 8, and a lot of other passages. But God is not jealous for himself. That he's, he don't want to share his glory with others. But he is also jealous about whom he has or chosen. You and me. Zechariah 1, 14. So the, the angel of who talked with me said to me, Cry out! Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Jerusalem and Zion simply means God's chosen people. He says, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am jealous. What is that? I am going to keep it. You know, I am going to keep what I have. And I am going to hold it so that I will not lose it. I am going to hold it tightly so that I will not lose it. There are two sides to God's jealousy. This man did not. So that is why we say we are precious in the sight of the Lord. Whom God has chosen, we are protected. We are, our names are engraved in the palms of his hand. Why? Why? It is not simply holding. It is engraved. Because our God is a jealous God. He don't want to lose you. You don't want to, you don't want to lose me. He is going to tightly hold us. That is the jealous, that is the jealousy of God. This man did not understand that. The things that are dedicated to God is God's. Now, one of the message that I always have to the oppressors and persecutors of those who belong to God, to Christ Jesus, is that 
though they may go through a the, the valley of the backa the tears still he is with them that's what it is so when we learn to be under as i had started earlier the leaders may go crazy the lead the leaders may play god you remember all the sermons in this series the leaders may go crazy the leaders may act with pride the leaders may play god the leaders may do all sort of things but about them is one psalm 93 says the lord reigns let all the nations shit be afraid the lord reigns the lord is above the flood waters now finally one more thing this man needed we lacked which we also need and that is prudence 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 is to know to know how to act in any given situation it also has sort of discernment to it that is what is good and what is bad or wisdom to differentiate between good and bad between holy and what is unholy what is holy and what is common to know that difference is what prudence is you go through the book of exodus you go through the book of numbers there we see the details of making the vessels for the use in the temple the for the use in the temple just be made very specially in a very special way and they are dedicated to the temple and that has to be treated with all these forks and spoons cups and saucers have to be treated with utmost reverence and we come to numbers there are instructions in the bible how to handle them how to pack them how to unpack them they have to be packed in a uh, blue cloth and that has to be handled only by the priests these are dedicated to god so you know now you see how belshazzar lacked wisdom he lacked prudence he did not differentiate could not differentiate between what is holy and what is unholy he thought all cups are same he thought all people are same he thought all kingdoms are same he thought all temples are same no that all but he could not see the difference of the god and who are not gods a second aspect where he lacked prudence and he acted acted like a fool is that he did not learn lessons from history why people make mistakes people make mistakes because they can learn from the mistake once i went to the fish market when i was young and i bought a fish which my fam my father said we don't eat this fish 
I don't know why. So he said, why did you buy this fish? We don't, in this family, we don't eat fish. This fish. I said, I'm sorry. So my father said, why did you buy that? I said, I didn't know that we don't eat this fish because we never bought it in this house. See, when my brother, when my father, when my mother, when the fish bought, they never bought this fish. How do I know? Unless you buy that fish and this happens earlier, that somebody bought the fish and brought home, and then you had an opportunity to tell them that this fish we don't eat in this house, then I will not eat by this. So we, somebody has to make a mistake. Somebody has to make a mistake for others to gain some wisdom. You understand what I'm trying to say? But when somebody makes a mistake, you have a duty, moral duty to learn from it. That is the other side of it. When somebody commits a mistake, or you yourself commit a mistake, you should learn from your mistake. Sometimes mistakes happen so that others can gain wisdom. Belshazzar's father did a great blunder that he imagined that he is a great man. He praised himself. He praised himself. But, you know, that Daniel 5, 22-23 You, you, his son, you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Now what does 4.37 say? In 4.37 it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, that is after he was in the field, ate grass like an ox, and then he came back to his senses. Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, said this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That is the father's lesson. The father learned it being about 7 to 10 years in the open field, exposed to the sun and the snow, eating grass like an ox, behaving like a wild beast. The father learned it in the hard way. The very hard way. But the son did not take heed. The son did not pay any attention to what the father did. Father learned. This is where the problem is. We have to learn from history. We have to learn from our own history. We have to learn from others' history. Every child has to build on from their father's good things and bad things. What does God expect from us? What is the wisdom that we have gained from us? Humility, honoring God, remembering or being living, being constantly reminded of our creatureliness. To have a heart of wisdom. To differentiate what is godly and what is not godly. To know what is holy and what is not holy. And also willing to learn. Willing to learn also means humility. I close with this verse from Micah chapter 6, 8.
He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That summarizes everything. Do justice, to do, do kind, to love kindness, and the most important thing in this passage that I would like to underline is this: walk humbly with your God. Or some of the translation will say, "With walk humbly before your God." Where do we stand in all this? Do we praise our achievements like Nabonidus did? Is this not the Babylon that I built for my own glory? Is that the way? Or is it the way that we can play with anything godly? Taking God lightly. Let me urge you brothers and sisters. Don't ever play with God. Give what is due to God. If you ever, ever enjoy what belongs to God, God will ask you, he make you accountable for it. Separate your time, separate your money, separate your talents, whatever you dedicated, never take it back and try to drink from it. Honor God. Many aspects of it coming regularly or worshipping God regularly. Honor God with a prayerful life. Honor God by serving his people. Honor God in every way. But always be reminded that we are nothing. Psalm 91 very clearly says we are simply like ants before him. Give us the wisdom to count our days. We are nothing. When he breathes life, we get life. When he takes it, we go back to the dust. We return to dust when he commands it. But in between, remember to lead a life of walking humbly before God. Shed all pride. Now we have about 360 days in this year. Not only for these 360 days that remains in this year. But whole life long. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. That is what Ecclesiastes says. Remember the Creator, your Creator, in the days of your truth. And that is worship. Let's close with a word of prayer.